in Thessalonians, but we're going to be flipping around a little bit in Acts tonight. Just give you a fair warning. Um, Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Say amen if you're there. All right, let's read it together. Now, when they had passed through, that would be, uh, I'm going to call it Amphipolis. Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, we know that reading Acts, they would go from town to town, and sometimes there would be a synagogue, and sometimes there wouldn't be. And if there wasn't a synagogue, where did they meet at? The river. Yep, they would meet at the river. As a matter of fact, according to Jewish law and the, the rules and regulations, you had to have so many... Um, people in the city to set up a synagogue and if there wasn't enough everybody would meet at the river for prayer on the sabbath as a matter of fact that's where lydia got saved and the seller of purple she got saved down by the river as they were there meeting for prayer all right but this town was a big town remember i said in our opening study it was a very popular tourist attraction it was a beach town. It's kind of like Miami Beach. If you want to think about how Miami is and all of its glitz and glamour, that's a bit like how this was back in these days. All right? Um, a real party town. And, um, and they happened to be large enough. They had a synagogue there. Now, it says in verse 2, Now, Paul, as, it was his, as his manner was, went in unto them, three Sabbath days and reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and rise again from the dead. And that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. In other words, there was a lot of, a lot of women as well. All right, not a, not a few, not a few women, but a, a multitude of women. So that is the starting of the church there in Thessalonica. And a couple of things we can, Paul, as it was his manner, or remember what it says as when it talked about Jesus, it was his custom to go to church, Amen. It was his custom to go into the Sabbath on a Saturday. It was Paul's custom to go to church when he needed to. And I think that's the first start, is it had to be our custom, amen, to assemble ourselves, which we're doing here tonight, praise God. The other thing here it says is that he reasoned with them out of man's wisdom, no. out of the scriptures. And that is the that is a point. If we're going to speak to people and talk about the things of God, we need to use the scriptures as our foundation stone. Amen? We can't get into all these theories and facts about man's wisdom and his points and all the philosophies of men. We saw last week down when Paul was in Athens, he tried that route and it did not work. There's no testimony of a strong church in Athens where Paul began to try to philosophize with the uh, scholars down there at Athens. And... Um, it doesn't say that he was there um, doing mighty things, preaching in the power of God. And so we, um, 
We got to reason with them according to the scriptures. And what did he talk to them about? That Christ must suffer, must had suffered, and rose again. That's it. Everywhere Paul preached, everywhere he went, he would preach that Christ was to suffer and die and be risen again. And he had rose again. And, you know, it's so foundational in the New Testament when you read it. There's not a lot that he changes wherever he goes. And the reason why is because that's where the power of God, that's what he gets on. You want to know why you look around sometimes and there's no power displayed in certain things that people are doing? It's because they're trying to get off on all these weird ideas instead of just preaching the death and the resurrection. I mean, every time we hear that in church, I get excited. I can never get enough of hearing that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Amen. I can hear, I can never get enough of that because my spirit inside it bears witness with that message, amen. amen, and so does yours. All right, so then we've seen that some believed, all right, and so we know back in Thessalonians, we, this letter was written to them to encourage them. And if you, if you was to outline Thessalonians, a great little outline verse is that one that we saw in chapter 1 where it says, the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. And Paul kind of outlines that letter according to that. You've got the first three chapters talk about the work of faith in the church. All right? And then in chapter the four, part of it, he talks about the labor of love. And then in the part of four and part of five, he talks about the coming of the Lord or the hope of their patience. All right, and the last part of chapter 5 is a bit of a, a closing statement, all right, and some exhortations, um, little exhortations unto wisdom. All right, so we have their past, we have their present, and we have their future that he talks about. Another thing that's really neat about this letter is every chapter in both letters, 1 and 2, all speak of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to talk to somebody or teach somebody about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes many people think, oh, well, that would be the book of Revelation. Actually, the Thessalonians is probably the best place to start when it comes to sharing and teaching about the second coming of Jesus Christ. These letters here, amen? So... He talks about that in verse 4 and 5, and that is the hope of our patience. And we left off in chapter 2, and if you look at the verse right above that, there it is in chapter 1, he ends with, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen? And we stand here today knowing that not one believer will receive the wrath of God. The Bible says in Timothy, we're not appointed under the wrath of God. It's not our destiny. Amen. So let's start in chapter two. For yourselves, brethren, you know our entrance into you, that it was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and we were shamefully treated, as you know, 
at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. All right, so Paul's saying here, when we came to you guys, we were beat up, but it was not in vain that we came to you. And why was it in vain? Because when we came to you, we spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. Boldness, amen? And when you think of boldness, Boldness is something that you can receive from Jesus. Boldness is something that he can impart to you. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. You know, because sometimes when we go out witnessing or something, you know, we'll be uh, we'll be thinking, well, first of all, some people have been bought into this this lie. Well, I'm just not. That's not my gifting. It's not. I'm not. My gifting is not to be a witness. I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's not true. The Bible says we're all called to be witnesses. Amen. So if we're all called to be witnesses, sometimes we may be afraid. We may be afraid of confrontation, rejection, or whatever. Boldness can come upon you by the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is do what the saints here in Acts chapter 4, 23 did. Listen to this. It says, Now being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and they said, Lord, you are God. So after they were arrested and they were threatened and they were saying, do not speak the name of the Lord Jesus. You cannot speak that name here. You cannot pray in this school. You cannot use the name of Jesus in the school system. You can't speak the name of Jesus in this hospital. If you haven't felt those threats yet, I'm telling you, those days are coming. The days are coming when they don't want us speaking in the name of Jesus anymore. They don't mind if we say God, because there's dozens of religions out there that say God, and they're all in harmony on that. But you speak the name of Jesus. Whoa, oh no, we don't use that name here. And that's how the Pharisees were. They told the disciples, don't speak or teach in the name of Jesus around here. You can't do that. But look what they said. They lifted up their voice to God in one accord. And what did they say? Lord, in other words, Jesus, you are God. Lord, you are God. So, no matter what anybody else has been telling us, Lord, we just want to start this off. The first thing we want to say right now is, Lord, thou art God. Amen? That's the first thing that they did. And then they said, who has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, 
Why did the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child, Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the nations and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Another translation says they conspired together to do whatever your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. So that word determined there, that's that word predestinated that we learned about. And so they said, now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak the word of God. By stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And so when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Hallelujah. Now you say, now, didn't they get filled with the Holy Spirit back in chapter 2? How come they're getting filled here again in chapter 4? Listen, man, when you're born again, everybody is filled with the Spirit of God in the newborn creation. But every believer needs to be filled with the power upon over and over again. What is that Holy Spirit upon? The Holy Spirit, remember, when the, the New Testament, when it speaks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, John tells us that the Holy Spirit was with or beside. So he was with then he was in, and then he was upon. It's the three ways that the Holy Spirit moves. The Holy Spirit with or alongside of is the Holy Spirit's witness to bring a person to salvation. When a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit goes in. And then after you get filled with the Spirit in, the Holy Spirit comes upon, and that is for what did he say? Stay in Jerusalem till you receive the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For you shall be my what? My witnesses. So the power of the Holy Ghost is for witnessing. And that is not a one-time deal. All right? When we're having altar calls back on Sundays and stuff like that, that's what that's for. Some people may say, man, that gets a little... Why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep having altar calls? Because, man... Er I need, a, I need a fresh dose every week, praise God. I mean, it's a crazy world we live in. I need a fresh dose of boldness in the Holy Ghost to be a witness, to have power, that the dead may be raised, that the sick may be healed, that I may open my mouth and speak the word of God with boldness. I need that every week, man. That's like a fresh dose, man. You know? Because I don't know about you, but when I was a, a partying in the world, I just didn't go to the bar once a year. All the way from home. I didn't go to the bar once a year, did you? 
My God, sometimes when I got paid, I was in the bar every night. So the Holy Ghost, we must press in and receive the Holy Ghost upon us often, many times. You know, and, and I really do, if you look at what they did here, now they were under some serious problems. And I made a little note here in my Bible, and I call these verses, this is what you call conflict management. This is how you manage conflict right here. Number one, they declared that the Lord was God. They ex so when conflict comes, the first thing you do is you exalt the Lord. Exalt the Lord. They didn't... And they notice they were gathered in one accord like they were back in chapter 2 when they received the Holy Spirit. Amen? They were in one accord. They weren't worried about what was going to be on TV or what dinner was burning or anything like that. They didn't mind staying and being together. And it says they lifted up their voice to God and said, You are God. They didn't say, Oh, Lord... They didn't focus on the problem first, did they? And there was problems. Peter was locked in jail. I got to do my facts checking, but if he hadn't already, he's about to, is one of the disciples gets executed. All right, so there's some serious problems here. But they didn't start bringing the shopping list to God about the problems. They exalted the Lord. All right, verse 24. In verse 25, well, look what it says there. The next thing they said was, Lord... David has said, in other words, it is written. They used God's word. Number one, they exalted the Lord. Number two, they used the word of God. They went to the scriptures and they found a place where it said, it's a vain thing to come against God's plan, man. <laughs> I mean, you are wasting your time. If you think you're going to stop what God has foreordained before the foundations of the world. All right. So they had the word of God to stand on. All right. Then the next thing they did in verse 27. Is it says. It says they were. Uh, where am I at here? Number three. I'm looking. I've lost my note here. Number three. They were gathered together. And in verse 27, it says, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the nations and the people of Israel, were gathered together or conspired against him. All right, number three. It says, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto your service, servants boldness. What? Verse 30, stretching forth thy hands to heal. So they asked for power from the Holy Spirit, and then they asked for gifts of the Holy Spirit to be released. They asked for gifts to be released. And then we see in verse 30, then they asked for faith for miracles. And that is what the church needs. When we come against something, we got to gather ourselves together and we got to exalt the Lord. We, that's what praise and worship's all about, exalting the Lord. 
When there's a problem, the first thing we need to do is if you're not in church, put the praise CD on. Get, the, get your favorite praise on. Just blast that thing. And you'll feel it start to bubble up in you, won't you, man? Praise God. And then you find some promises of God to stand on. You know, these are things that you guys already know. But I'm just saying, this is, it's a New Testament model, guys. Yes. It's always worked, and it always will work. Yes. And when times get tough, as we've been hearing people prophesy that they will, this is still the model that the church needs to follow. Amen? Yeah. This is the model right here. I find it interesting that they spoke with boldness and what it comes, just like Paul said, I came with you, not in man's wisdom, but in the word of God and in demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. Listen, the word of God and signs and wonders are married to each other. They're married to each other. So he came with boldness. And isn't that exactly what they did in the Philippian jailer? Isn't that exactly what him, Paul and Silas did? Didn't they follow the crisis management table there in Acts chapter 4 when they were locked up and then they were beaten? That's exactly what they did. And that's how he came to them in Thessalonia, Thessalonica. I keep calling it Thessalonia, but it ain't. All right, so he spoke boldly. Now look what he says in verse 3. For our exhortation was not of deceit, uncleanness, nor in guile. In other words, our preaching and our teaching was not, um, it was not fraudulent, is that word, deceit. It wasn't, it wasn't erring from the doctrines or the orthodox of Scripture. What they taught and preached was the, from the Word, amen? They stuck to the scriptures. Also, he says, it wasn't of uncleanness. That word is impure, physically or morally. All right? They were not impure men. They were clean. Their hearts were clean. Their hands were clean. Amen? They were clean morally and physically. You know, they weren't, they weren't unclean people. When, they were, when someone says... They're unclean. Do you know what? Can you think of somebody? I can think of people that have an unclean spirit. If those of you that have the gift of the discerning of spirits, you can just sense an unclean spirit around. All right? Well, there's also people that are just unclean, not showered. Okay? And they just are not pleasant to be around as a person both are both are very important when you're going into a place and you want to minister you know you gotta you gotta have a certain uh you know you gotta be clean physically and spiritually amen it's very important you can't just be a slob or you can't just go in and and think that just because you've got the holy ghost that everything's going to be fine all right now he also says that it wasn't their preaching or exhortation wasn't in guile. It says in, they weren't um, using trickery 
or the Greek word there is, is a decoy. They weren't using it as a decoy to go somewhere else or trick bait, okay? But it says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but of God, who does what? He tests our hearts. In other words, they knew that this thing started in God and everything that they did was going to be weighed and tried by God. Amen. And I like what he said there when he said, um, you know, we didn't speak as pleasing men. You remember when I read out of Galatians when we first started, Paul said, hey, guys, when I got when I got knocked off that horse. I didn't confer with flesh and blood. In other words, I didn't go to down to Jerusalem and talk to Peter and try to get an authorization on what's happening in my life. You know, he met Jesus there at Damascus because he said, Lord, what will you have me do? You know, he had an encounter with the resurrected Savior. And so he was on a journey and he went down to Syria and God gave him some things. He spoke to him some things. So, you know, you cannot please God by pleasing men. That's a fact. That's a hard lesson to learn, especially in ministry. In ministry, you must please God. There's such a temptation to please man. But I'm telling you, and a lot of you can testify, when you start making decisions and speaking to please man, to keep things calm, to try to, you know, it does, just does not work. Please God and let the Holy Ghost do the sweeping, do the clearing, do the cleaning, do whatever. He has control of people's hearts. Amen. You never, because if you start pleasing this crowd over here, then you're not going to please that crowd over there. If you start trying to please that crowd over here, then this crowd's going to get on you. Amen. You can't ever please anybody. I'm t you can't please everybody. So Paul knew that going in. Now he said, look here in verse uh, five. Neither at any time used we what flattering words, buttered speech, smooth talk. As you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, for God is our witness. God is witness. So he said, man, when we came in here, we weren't trying to please men, and we weren't trying to make everybody feel good with, with flattery and talking about how good of a person they are and, and buttering them up and all that kind of stuff. We didn't do that. Because a lot of things that he told them, they probably didn't want to hear. We'll read down here in the bottom of this chapter. He said, uh, we didn't use flattering words, and you know we didn't have a cloak of covetousness. In other words, they were not, um, that's a powerful word there when you think about a cloak. What does a cloak do? It covers. When I think of a cloak, I think about, you know, back in the day when you'd go out on a, well, I remember when I was in the Navy, You'd go out on the street in one of these big time cities or these ports and it'd always be a guy with a cloak on and he'd be like, want to buy a watch? Want to buy a watch? 
I got Rolex, I got Rolex, you know, and he's just, he, he Solex, you know, want to buy a watch? You know, it's a cloak of covetousness. It hides, the, it hides covetousness. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, when we came here, we weren't coveting a position. You know, a lot of times, and this is important for, especially in the church and in ministry too, a lot of times there'll be, I've seen guys where they're, they really got their eye on a certain position in the church. Their heart, they're coveting that role. They're covering, coveting that position. But they wear a cloak that they're not coveting by talking nice words, by making them feel good, be like, hey, I got your back, brother. I got your back. Yeah, I can feel it right there in my kidney, you know? It's like, you know, that kind of stuff. And he wasn't like that, you know? And we can't be like that. We have to be content where we are in Christ. Verse 6, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you. All right. Paul wasn't looking for position, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherish, cherisheth her children. So Paul said, we didn't come in here as like big man on campus telling everybody what to do. You know, I remember a story of my friend, a great brother, a guy by the name of Dan McCollum, who I love. Pastor knows him. He's really good friends with Pastor. He was telling me a story when he was a minister out in California. He was on staff there. And there was a real known preacher come through, come through the place. If I named him, you'd know him instantly, big time. So anyway, Dan was on staff there, and the pastor was there. And um, they picked the, the, the driver, picked this guy up from the airport. And the whole time back from the airport, you know, He's talking to the driver saying, you know, I'm going to need this. I'm going to need green apples and I got to have DeSante water and I've got to have, you know, Snickers with no peanuts. And I got to have, you know, and all kinds of stuff, you know, all these demands and things. Wow. And so uh, so they're getting to the they're getting to the lobby of the church and the driver and him walk in. And um, and so he looks to Dan and goes up to Dan like Dan's the pastor of the church and says, Hey, pastor, how you doing? And Dan says, oh, I'm not the pastor. And he's like, well, where's the pastor at? And he points to the driver and says, he's the pastor. Oh, wow. And he just said, in that way, I mean, he preached one service and he never, that guy never went back there again, you know? And, and, you know, I don't care, man. I'm serious. You know, we're living in a day of high society and celebrityism when it comes to Christian, Christianity. And, you know, us sitting here in a church, you know, our Assembly of God church, you know, of, of the amount of people that we have, you know, we're just really on the, on the scope of things. We're just probably a little blip, aren't we? But you know what? That blip is so important to God. And it's so important to the servants of God to be, keep themselves as a blip. I don't care how many books you sell, how many TV programs you're on, 
how big your ministry gets. Look, this guy who right here, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And look how he's talking about himself. He said, when we came in there, we didn't come in there with chariots. We didn't come in there with, you know, guys with big palm feathers, you know, rolling out the red carpet. I certainly didn't come in asking for Snickers with no peanuts, you know. So, no, it was just a joke. So anyway, so you see my point here, okay? Paul came in and he says, how did he treat them? As a nurse cherished her children. As a, nur- as a mother, okay, that's one translation. A nursing mother. That's good because that's what it's like. It is a nursing mother. That's, that's the description there. All right. Let's read all the way down to, because I'm going to show you three portraits that he paints of how he came to the church here. We'll read all the way through to verse 13 real fast. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not only the gospel of God, but also our own souls because you were dear to us. For we remember, brothers, our labor and travail, For we were laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. And we preached unto you the gospel of God. You are a witness and God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and encouraged and charged every one of you as a father does his children that you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. All right, so the first portrait he plays, he points out that they came as a nursing mother. You know, when, you, when I think about my wife, when she had our babies, you know, and when she was nursing, the crying did not bother her. They put up with the crying. I don't know how she did it. I, would, I, I couldn't get enough pillows inside my ear. But my wife, it could be 3.30 in the morning, and that is a bad hour. How many know that? At 3 o'clock hour, man. Oh, and she'd be up, and why? Because she cherished Bethany. She cherished those kids as a nursing mother. She put up with the crying, you know? Put up with the complaining. Put up with the whining. Why? Because she loves. Paul loved as a nursing mother cherishes. Why? Because what we have in front of us is precious. You know, I can't take that little baby and say, would you just be quiet for a minute? You know, you can't do that, can you? You can't, you just, you can't do that. You've got to nourish them. Got to hold them close. Give them the milk of the word. That's what he's talking about. Paul said, I give you the milk of the word. Pretty soon they got to a place where they can handle stronger meat of the word. But you start off with the milk of the word. Amen. And then look what he says there. In verse 9, he says, For remember, brothers, our labor and travail. So the next thing he was, he was a working brother. Now, when Paul came to this town... There, it wasn't in every town, but particularly this town, 
Paul made his own living here. He worked with his own hands because there was a spirit of laziness in this town. This town, the people, they would get into this thing where the poor people, they wouldn't work with their hands, but they would, they would call them patrons. They would find the wealthy. And the wealthy would provide for their needs. And what they would do is they would become errand boys for the wealthy. And it was a snare. Because you were now in control, you were controlled by this person here. And it was, a, it was a deadly, vicious cycle because the person would give somebody, you know, uh, a bag of beans for food. And then that person would maybe run an errand for them or they, because they were thankful. And then that person who got the bag of beans then, then would ask the person again for some more stuff. And that person felt obligated because they did this favor for them. And, you know, and I know some of you got relatives like that. Some of you got people that you know that just, that they just, they're moochers, basically. I mean, I can't put it any plainer than that. They're just moochers. And these guys, there was a problem with moochers in this town. And Paul, having a discernment of that, thought, well, hold on a second then. The, la the worst thing I could do is start coming in here saying that these people ought to meet my needs because I'm the apostle of Christ. So he pulled a fast one on him, and he got his tools out, and he began to go to work. He'd work in the day, providing for him and his team, and then he'd preach the gospel at night. It says he worked night and day. A lot of times he'd work hand in hand with his brothers right next to him. And that's why he says, we were brothers in labor. You know, there's nothing better than getting a group of people together and you're just doing some good graft, amen? You know, that's, Pastor, that's why the mission trips are so good, isn't it? You just, a lot of times people want to just go down to mission trips and, and, and want to do the, get the, pray. Yeah, man, I tell you, when we were in England, we'd have some of these people would come over and they'd, all they'd want to do is lay hands on people. And I'd be like, why don't you lay hands on that dish rag? You need to lay hands on this dish rack for a, for a couple hours, you know? <laughs> lay hands on that. People want to minister and do all the spiritual, but they don't want to do any work or any graft, you know? And, and Paul's saying, and you'll see when we get into these letters, he gets, he gets downright dirty with them when it comes to working with their own hands. But he set the example, and not because he didn't, not because he wasn't able to receive from them right. he had every right to receive from them yeah. and it would have been a righteous thing for them to meet his needs the bible says don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn in other words if a man is ministering or a woman feeding the feeding the sheep giving them the word of god then you know it's not wrong for the minister to expect you know his needs to be met now, there's a far cry from needs to be met to greeds to be met. Yeah. All right? So, there's a difference. Now, but here, like I said, the strategy of Paul in this town was to show them to be an example to them. All right? And what's the word that he uses there in verse 9? Because we would not be what? Chargeable unto any of you. 
Why? Because the gospel's reputation was online here. It's early days here. And he didn't want the gospel to be tainted by some sort of thing that looks like they were just doing this to, you know, they needed to keep it precious. And he knew that it would probably maybe turn to that or he would set a bad example. All right. So the next thing he said in verse 11, he says, and you know that we exhorted and encouraged and we charged every one of you as a father. So we have a nursing mother. We have a working brother. And we have an encouraging father. Now, the thing about being an encouraging father, it says there, it says we exhorted. We encouraged and we charged. You know, sometimes. As a father. You have to tell it straight. <laughs> Sometimes my kids get they I can see their face twitch when I'm coming down on them. They don't like to be exhorted or one word is reproved. We just naturally don't like to be told that's wrong. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. Now, that's the key right there. Because that's where the exhortation comes. We can't be fathers and leaders that just want to go around and just pick the fault all the time. That's wrong. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. What's that going to do? You, it makes you going to feel like you're no good. And that's not what a father does. What you do is says, you did that wrong. Try it this way. Don't do it that way because this is going to happen, but this is a better way to do that. You've got to have the solution as well as the problem, okay? And I've found that so many times, you know, you always get, someone wants to tell you everything you're doing wrong, but they don't ever want to tell you how to do it right. And when you're around people like that, whether it be in church or relationship, they're not fathering. Because fathers give answers. They give solutions. And they're only telling you you're doing it wrong because they're trying to save you a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. So you've got to have an incur you've got to have exhortation, you've got to have encouragement. And you got to have, sometimes you've got to charge them. You know, sometimes I just tell my kids, no. And sometimes I just tell them no to see if they can handle it. <laughs> I don't have any other reason other than just to make sure they can take no every now and then. Because I can feel it. So the yeses are flowing, yeses are flowing. Everything's a yes, everything's a yes. And, it, you know, most of the time it should be. And then all of a sudden just the no will come out and they'll just, they'll just, they'll just shake. They'll just, what? Why? You know, you got to handle that. You got to be able to take that no every now and then. So verse three, 13, for this cause also, we thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, 
you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believes. You know, the word of God effectually works. Amen. Now, for you, brethren, you became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For you also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. In other words, you know, these, these believers here, remember, they're in a place like Miami. When you try to say that nightlife is wrong, don't go to the disco, don't go to the bar anymore, you know, don't, don't cheat on your taxes, you know, make sure that that don't lie to the building inspectors, don't, you know, don't sell alcohol, don't fiddle this, you know, things that, you know, you're, you're all of a sudden now you're changing the Holy Spirit's telling you things that you shouldn't be doing, and it's going against the culture. And there was a backlash. Now, I'm not sitting up here coming to you as somebody that has all of this stuff figured out and that I'm a, a success in it. But I can be as transparent as I possibly can be. I know the reason why there's not power in our lives. Because we, we're not really suffering, man. We're not really... We don't have the affliction that these early churches went through. We don't even have the affliction that our brothers and sisters in, in different places in the world are going through. You know, I mean... I complain if I go to UDF and the half gallons are gone. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not affliction. And I'm only saying that is because, you know, we're going to have to get into some scenarios where we're, we're, where the word of God is being spoken. Now, you know, I'm not saying we got to go around and start condemning abortion and homosexuality, although I think those things are very wrong. Okay, I don't stand for those things. But we're going to have to start standing up to the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way. That there is no other name by which men must be saved, the Bible says. Doesn't say can be saved. There's no other name which men can be saved. It says must be saved. It's the only name. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm encouraged to myself just to get out there and just start telling people that, look, Jesus Christ is your only answer. The wrath of God abides on you. Unless you receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and believe that he's been raised from the dead. And if you don't believe me, let's go visit your sick grandmother and let's show you who's God. You know, it's time in these last days to really put it out on the line. 
we think, oh, can you do that, man? Can you like, you know, just go out there? And Hey, God said for us to go. He told us to go. And, you know, you've heard me say before, some, we must pray for the, for the, call the elders for the sick. But that's actually not really the main purpose of those gifts. Because technically, if you study it out, the believer should have enough faith to lay hands on himself. If you really read the scriptures. Now, there are those that are weak in faith and we got to call for the elders and they lay hands on them and we come into a prayer of agreement. But signs and wonders and healing and all that kind of stuff is calling cards for the truth of the gospel. And, and, and God will touch people. Even if you just say, can I pray for you, brother? Who's that guy that's got all the dreadlocks that's going around the world? Todd White. Todd White. Yeah. Anybody ever watch the video of that cat? Yes. He just goes to people and says, hey, can I pray for you? Can I pray? Can you look, what's that limp there? You know, can I pray? And man, they feel the Holy Ghost. They feel power, man. You know, they feel power. And I was watching a Heidi Baker video and she was over in Bulgaria and the pastor of the local pastor, she went to go lay hands on the woman and pray for her sickness. And the pastor rebuked her and said, wait a minute, you can't, you can't pray for her healing until she receives Jesus first. She's a Muslim and she must renounce Muhammad and, and accept Jesus before you can pray for her healing. And she looked at him and said, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. Amen. Jesus loves this woman and he wants to heal her. Amen. And when she realizes that Jesus loves her more than Muhammad, then she'll turn from her. She'll turn to Jesus from Muhammad. Amen. You know, and and that's just the way it is. And so I. We just got to get out there, man, and just. Be ready to receive some affliction and be ready to speak the word of God in truth. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Well, that's all I got about tonight. I think I've gone long enough and we'll uh, pick it up next week. I um, hope you got something out of that tonight. We got any questions or comments?